Welcome to the Mass Musings podcast. My name is Kate DeMont, and I'm the founder as well as a professional photographer, creative mentor, and event producer. I founded Mass Musings in 2012 as a place for creative individuals to find inspiration. Since its inception, Mass Musings has grown into a lifestyle and music collective that aims to connect people through creativity and community. What makes Mass Musing stand out from other blogs is the photography and personality in each post. I make a point to truly collaborate with brands and other artists in order to create unique and authentic content as I believe that that is what builds community and how influence is made. Today's guest is a husband and wife music duo, The Bergamot. Hailing from Brooklyn, New York, Jillian Spies and Nathaniel Hoff have an energy about them that is palpable. I first came across their music when working with Aloft hotels on their Aloft Star Tour stop in Denver. What initially attracted me to them, besides their music of course, was how genuine they appeared both on and off stage. Their connection with each other, as well as their connection with the audience, is authentic and pure. Truly a gift for anyone who's around them. I knew immediately that there was a depth to them that would translate well with the Mass Musings community, and I'm thrilled to be able to get them thrilled to be able to get to know them better through this conversation. So Jillian and Nathaniel, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Of course. Um, so let's get started. And for people who don't really know much about you, if you could give us like a quick elevator pitch of what you guys are and what you stand for and why you do music, I would love to start there. Yeah, so the Bergamot, actually, we like to reference our name a lot when we when we talk because uh, Bergamot oil is used to induce happiness and relieve stress, and then Wicca is used to expel bad spirits and, um, and to uplift people's souls. So we would like to think of our music as an auditory accompaniment to that uh, process. So our music is very uplifting. We try to take heavy topics and try to see the light in everything. So we try to see some light amongst the darkness, and I think that's a relative thing in the world these days. And two of our favorite catchphrases that we each have. So in 2006, I was in college, and I was working with um, one of my teachers, and she would always sign off on the email with Shine On. Mm. And I asked her, one day I said, Hey, I love your shine on catchphrase at the end. I was like, would you, would it be okay if I also use it? And she's like, I would love that. So I've been using that as my catchphrase since 2006. And I think that embodies the idea of, you know, every human you meet seeing the light in them and just encouraging them on their path. And then Nathaniel's is ever upwards. So mm. kind of this, you know, injunction of seeing the light in each other and always trying to lift each other up. Oh, I love that so much. And I feel like you guys really do truly embody that when you perform. And even when I was watching you interact with people after your performance here in Denver, it was just so refreshing to see people who realize that they kind of have a responsibility as somebody who has a platform and music to share. I think you guys do a great job of really connecting people and moving forward and shining on and all of that and upwards and onwards. And, oh, I have chills just yeah. thinking about it. So that's amazing. Uh -huh. Oh, no, thank you. We <laughs> thank think you. Uh, that's actually um, indirectly. I think you kind of hit on one of the big things that we do believe in that regardless of your platform or whatever you do in life, I think that there is this kind of greater um, calling to uh, to be to use that platform for the positive and to that music is not only um, something that comes from uh, an experience and a knowledge of music, but also from an experience and a knowledge of, of life. And I think that um, in 2016, when we toured all 50 states with 250 plus shows, we kind of realized that the human experience is just as important as the artistic. And I think that well-lived lives tend to lead to well-written songs. Mm. Yes. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that it was all 50 states and that many shows. That is, that's a trip. <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely a trip for sure. <laughs> yeah. When we say it out loud and actually we're editing a lot of the documentary not right now, but when we say it out loud and we think about it, um, it was a, it was a story of tour. It was a story of music and writing and love, but it was also just the story of survival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is so basic and relatable to even no matter what human we can all relate to those times in life where it's just about getting through the moment and making it to the next. 
Oh my gosh, I could not agree more. I mean, I know for me and a lot of people around me, even this week has kind of felt kind of off energetically. I don't know if it's the moon or Mercury in retrograde or what's happening, but I think also as a creative person, those times of survival can almost feel a little bit more daunting just because we're so used to producing these things and putting them out there in the world and creating buzz and kind of that upswing energy that sometimes when the downswing hits, it's a little bit overwhelming and you don't really know how to handle it. So I love that you talk about that. And especially in this documentary form, I would love to know a little bit more about that and where you guys plan on releasing that, what it entails, like how can we get our hands on it? Yeah, one thing I wanted to say really quick was touching on what you just said there, that I think that the studio and the songwriting space can be the quietest place on earth mm. at times. And um, and I think that that personal reflection and quiet time and challenging time that you were speaking about, that's key to the artistic process because you got to push through it. And uh, Jillian here has a lot of information about the documentary of us pushing through it. Uh, yes. Yeah, no, I... No, that's completely true. Just a, a side note off of that. I think that this is a, it's as an artist, creating time and space for ourselves to make things happen is so important, especially when things feel off. Mm-hmm. I think that we're living in a world that is, that feels very off. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of sadness and despair. And so it's very, very important for all of us artists to take time to go out into nature and just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can reflect and get inspired, but, but speaking of the documentary and getting <laughs> inspired, we, <laughs> so it has been over a two and a half year journey. We filmed the, do- well, we kickstarted the documentary on Kickstarter in 2015 and January 2nd, we left New York city with a bang, we did our first Unity Collective show in Manhattan and had everyone sign their message of unity and radical inclusivity on our station wagon. And that was the first ever stop on the Unity Collective. That's epic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then, you know, fast forward a year of touring to all 50 states. As you can imagine, it was everything you're imagining and probably a little bit more. Um, it, I'm so glad that we didn't know where it was going to take us in the moment because it was so exhausting and and amazing and life-giving and also like life-taking it was everything and a little more um so we filmed that entire year and then we for the last almost two years which is crazy to think we have been working on the documentary with a team um a sundance award-winning team and they also just put out a piece called um they just got, they sold to Google. Yeah. Uh, uh, Warren G, G-Funk. Yeah, G-Funk. If you, you can Google G-Funk and watch a piece that our team just put out, but um, it's going to, the, our documentary will be called state of the unity. And it's, it's chronologically the whole tour, but melted down into 90 minutes. Yeah. Oh, wow. joy. No. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, because we are working on the documentary literally 15 hours a day for like the past, whenever we get days, because it seems like we have to do it in big chunks. Um, and it just seems like those days get spread all over the place. Um, airplanes, trains, uh automobiles it's everything you can imagine editing this thing but i think the biggest thing i want to say about the documentary is it's really about major themes Hmm. i think there's some major themes that have emerged from this film um one of the major themes obviously is the music um the music that this new album that we recorded in london um that we'll talk a little bit more about later uh with producer matt wiggins this music was all written on and inspired through that journey Um, And I think my favorite songs in life are about journeys, whether it be like Piano Man by Billy Joel or uh, a lot of Pink Floyd stuff that I'm really into. It's all about like a journey. And so this this documentary inspired a new record and that new record is called Mayflies and that's coming out next year. And then I think about another major theme that was in this film as well is um, 2016. I mean, that is an inextractable uh, year from our consciousness, from American history, mm-hmm. from just interpersonal relationships, family relationships, 
2016 has dynamically affected everybody's life. And I realized when we're editing this film that how much 2016 exists as a co-narrative to the entire piece. Um, and then there's also, uh, you know, there's story of a band on the road and a band on the run um, mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, I think that there's uh, the, this idea that of what does it look like to be a musician in 2016? Um, and I... You know, I watch a lot of documentaries and there's a lot of documentaries out there that kind of capture this. But I feel that ours does kind of show um, an inside look at that because we did film it a lot. Jillian filmed a lot. I filmed a lot. Um, So there's that dynamic, which is like, what does it look like to be a musician? Everybody says it's terrible out there. But what does it really look like? Like, let's not use hyperbole. Let's use just real language about how hard it was. Mm -hmm. So there's that theme. And then there's the theme of love and marriage and us being together and like surviving each other in a car for 260 (laughs) odd days of the most challenging ridiculousness that you could imagine from sleeping in our car and having death. Uh, uh, close near death experiences to sleeping in squat houses to sleeping in penthouses. Oh, wow. Um, and then, <laughs> and then I think the final theme of the entire film is inspirational that I think people watch, I hope at the end that people can watch this film and realize how much they are capable of. Because in the end of the film, there's this great scene of the car just driving away in like kind of a dusk scene where you can't even see the signatures. And I hope that people in this film can watch it and think to themselves, that could be like my friend in his car, like, mm-hmm. or that could be me in my car, or this could be anybody doing anything. And I just hope that it brings light and energy to something so normal, so kind of abstract, just driving in your car and turning that into something that can bring people together. I hope that people can leave the film thinking to themselves that they're empowered to go out into the world and do great things because great things are not always going to 50 states and doing whatever it could be in your house knitting for whatever cause you may find relevant. I mean, it just, it all starts with you. And I think this film really leaves, I hope leaves people with this energy that they can really accomplish great things with even the smallest of inspiration and idea. Okay. I have chills right now. I literally (laughs) do too. (laughs) And I also, I just want to say that I love the theme of the car that you kind of tied it all together with because that has always been a place of solace for me. And I know yes. it is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like you go for a drive if you need to get some stress out or if you need to think. Or honestly, yes. I've had some of my deepest and most meaningful conversations in a car. Um, yeah. So, you know, be it a cross-country road trip or just a trip to the store, I think that that holds a lot of power and a lot of depth. And I just love that that's kind of the overarching theme for everything that you said. I think it embodies it perfectly. And I also have chills. I can feel that coming from you guys. And I sensed it when I met you. And so to hear that you've perfectly encapsulated it into a documentary makes me very excited. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank (laughs) Thank you. You you know, I think that just touching on that last thing that you said about the car, I think that, yeah, there is this this idea, too, of of bending and breaking boundaries that we have in our in our heads, because to some extent, once we had opened this car up to this public experience, we realized that everything became public driving to the street, driving on the street anywhere, going wherever you would be surprised. People would literally jump out of their car, sign the car, jump back into their car at a stoplight in Philadelphia and like. It would just it turned this like you would have these moments of extreme anxiety, desperation in the car. And then literally somebody would like knock on the window and be like, what the heck is this? This is the most amazing. You've made my day. And like oh. literally we were just crying, you know. Right. Um, so it's like it, it transcends this boundary that like it's an everyday thing. And that's something we talked about as well. It's important that it's a car. It's not a van. It's not, not a, a semi truck. It's not a bus because it's something that when you see it. It is just it is kind of you go back to the American Revolution with with cars and all that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's so deeply American when you see it and relatable. um, It resonates on a higher on a higher theme, I think. And it's not only a car. It's like this awesome, almost like Vermont-esque station wagon or or like mom station wagon. (laughs) So there's like there's like another level of like 
okay, like, I guess, like, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm coming in. Sure, I think we were going to sell for 800 bucks before oh we actually went on our journey. So that, wow. by all means, it was probably just a beater. By, by, by the world's view, it was a beater. Yeah. But in the end, it ended up being this kind of transcendent symbol that embodied 2016 in a different way than what I think we saw well, in the public media and that type of thing. And, and we hope that that's resonant with people when they watch the documentary. Well, we were the counter-narrative to 2016, we'd like to think, because yeah. we were going out there and our whole mission was to build unity and radical inclusivity for all people, especially people that are on the margins. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, we just wanted to make sure that we could use our voice in a positive way, in a loving way to all people, which is why we took a stance and we went to both the um, Republican and Democratic National Convention because unity is a unity if you don't go to both. Right. <laughs> you know, to yeah. go to everything. And as difficult as aspects of that were for us and continues um, to be yeah right. we um you know it's it's complicated out there because we have a lot of friends who are in the lgbtq community that we love 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 and we want to represent and mm -hmm. we have a lot of friends who are also you know more in the tradition conservative side who we love mm -hmm. and but it's complicated because you know, our per we don't try. We typically don't talk a lot about our personal values, but I think we try and just show that through our love and inclusivity of everyone. Yeah. And I think people can kind of get it. But you know, the whole movie itself is just for our life. It's one of the craziest things we've ever done. And um, just going through the footage is, has been really inspiring. And you're just like watching it yourself, and like some of the lowest moments and some of the highest moments, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did that. Oh yeah, and I think that one of the big things to looking back at um, the Unity Collective was that everybody has a narrative in life. Like everybody mm -hmm. has a story. You know, you realize this very quickly when you watch the film. Nobody comes to the Unity Collective, to the car, to the experience with a completely blank palette. I think that the blank palette that people bring to the idea is that they've never signed a car before. You hear this a lot mm. in the film, like I've never signed a car before. So to them, that is an experience that kind of wipes the slate clean for just a moment of mm. like this experience in their head is going to be a, an experience that they cannot assimilate to any other experience because we realize that by nature we are as human storytellers and mm -hmm. and story creators and story sharing we're just that's part of like what makes us human it's like defines us from other animals right so one of the things that i've found with the unity collective is is that as tough as 2016 was, I do think, and continues to be, honestly, I mean, yeah. we're not out of any sort of woods. It's not like it was something that existed in its time and space and right. vacuum and has <laughs> passed us and we're kind of like over the storm. I think we're kind of amidst it right now, but I think we're in this understanding phase of everybody was using that narrative of the Unity Collective to kind of push their own narrative. So it was really fascinating because we found that the most powerful moments were when you would get two people signing the car who represented completely different ideological mm. uh, narratives. Yeah. And so, you know, we had this one situation where, um, you know, we had this gentleman from Texas and we had uh, a family from China. And this was during the real intense Chinese rhetoric of 2016, which, which I don't know if you remember what you know, Trump had said in the um, in the uh, it was the Coliseum in Fort Wayne about the Chinese. And I'm not going to repeat it. But um, so anyway, so yeah. this narrative that played out was basically we took a passive role because, you know, we were out in the middle of the desert and you just don't know. I mean, it can get wild out there. <laughs> and um, we were at this kind of scenic overlook. And so we just let these two kind of competing I don't even know it was just it was just an awkward situation as we walked into it but what was fascinating was was that somehow the car I feel like and the experiences and the energy that we brought to the situation diffused it mm -hmm. and my favorite part was that the guy from Texas who kind of had a little bit of a rough go with the situation when it was playing out in the end he took like this moment to like speak to us and the and the family from China and and he kind of just said to us, like, this is just so amazing because nobody does this anymore. There used to be a time and a day and age in this world where people would do this, but nobody's doing this anymore. And this is powerful stuff. And we just thought, like, 
man, when when he came up to the car, I did not expect that to be the final result. I thought, well, when he what came could up happen? To the car, he was kind of like, oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, uh, well, it's the Unity car. Everyone's invited to sign it with their message of unity. And he's like, oh, okay. And they walked away. He's like, I'll think about it. And then the other family came up and they're like, oh, the daughter spoke English. She went, mm-hmm. what is this? And we, we said the same thing. She said, oh, can we sign it? She, can we write in, in Chinese? And I said, oh my gosh, we would love that. So she starts signing it. And then a few minutes later, he sees them and, is, and says, he makes a kind of an awkward comment like, oh, you know, I hear in China, you make good Chinese food or something. Oh my God. <laughs> And then we're like, oh boy, where's this going? <laughs> and then he's like, ah, oh, what the heck? He's like, I'll sign the car too. So the family's on one side of the car, the opposite side. Then he's on the opposite side, right? So they're not even by each other. And, you know, I take the camera over to see what she wrote. And she, he just finished writing while she says, well, we wrote, you know, safe travels and good luck. And he, the, his face was insane at this point, like dropped. He's like, I wrote the exact same thing. <gasps> no. Yes. What? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Crazy. That is and, so wild. Yeah, right? And then <laughs> and then he then we have all this on film, so this will be in the documentary, but he was like, Wow. He's like, Oh man, he, you know, the, then the family left and then he's left by himself with us and he's like, Wow, you just don't see this anymore. He's like, I really like this. This is really cool. <sighs> Wow. That just like really, I, there are so many things I could say about that, but one of the things that I love doing through mass musings is really promoting that acceptance and understanding that we've been talking about. And I really think that like the reason why I do podcasts and posts and social media coverage is like, obviously it's fun and we all like to put a very specific version of ourselves out there. But I think that the greater issue here is we have that power to really dive deep with people and get to know people because at the end of the day, we are all just humans. It doesn't matter if you have 8 million followers. It doesn't matter if you have two followers, we are all cut from the same cloth. And I think we all have a responsibility to at least try to understand other people so that we can learn and grow. And I just, that, I don't know. I agree. There needs to be more stuff like that out there because everyone truly does have a story. And I think by trying to learn other people's stories, it would solve so many of these issues that we've been talking about from 2016 to now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, on that idea that like, um, I just feel like there's the ideological divide in 2016 was very large. And I think that it's growing because of intolerance from mm -hmm. all from not, I'm, this isn't just one party. This is this is the radical sides of Everything. both parties, right? Which is dangerous because I don't know if you watched the movie "Won't You Be My Neighbor." I haven't yet, but I've heard so many good things. Okay, so definitely <laughs> shameless plug for Mister Rogers. But definitely watch it; it's really good. And the one thing that he did really well throughout his life was he went and he hung out with everybody. And he loved everyone. Mm. He had no, he almost, you know how like little dogs and like animals see humans and they're just like, hi, I love you. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what color skin you're, you are, what your sexual orientation is. Or it, they don't care. Dogs see people and they love people. And mm-hmm. that's the end of it. And I think that that's like in my entire life, if I could learn to love everyone the way dogs love people like that's my goal (laughs) oh my god right seriously though (laughs) they really are so pure and innocent and unadulterated in their love and yeah it's yeah it's great and I mean I remember watching Mr. Rogers growing up and that was way more influential than I think any of us realized just being exposed to something as simple as a conversation with your neighbor and what that looks like and how people are different in a kind way, you know, not a, cause I have family members. I also have people too, as we all do, I'm sure that are on the total opposite end of the spectrum in terms of beliefs, but that doesn't mean that they're bad people. And I think that's the message that needs to be conveyed to everybody is just because you're different doesn't mean that you're better or worse. Yeah. Oh, yes. And God, like there's so many ways that we could go about it, but I just, have you guys ever heard of the Reddit thread explained to me like I'm five? No. So I'm not Reddit. Wait, what is it? What what exactly are you hitting on? Yeah. It's just like 
Reddit is this like community board where you can post a lot of things. I'm not a huge Reddit person. Oh yeah, Reddit. Yeah, you've heard of Reddit. Yeah, but they have a board on there that it's like explain to me like I'm five. And the whole concept is you explain to somebody a concept that they don't know about like they're five years old. And I, ah. I almost think that that translates well for everything. It's like, let's just break it down to the most basic of examples. And this yes. is how we should live. Like, it doesn't have to be so complicated. Just follow the golden rule and treat everybody else like you would like to be treated. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. For you sure. Know? Yeah. But. Uh, and I think that, yeah, I just think it gets, that's exactly kind of the whole, the whole concept and narrative in the film that we try to deal with a lot is that, Basically, it just as you get older, life doesn't, I don't think, get harder. I mean, obviously, challenges can be more difficult, mm-hmm. but I just the only thing I can sum up, just like in the film, as the film goes on and on and on, it just gets more complicated. Yeah. And somehow, the complicating factors are the things that tend to divide us. And when you remove those complicating factors because of the way that we are as humans that we're kind of conditioned to want to differentiate ourselves. Those, once you remove some of those complicating factors, there is this like undeniable human humanity that is embedded in all of us. And once you start rediscovering those real human elements, um, you realize that the complicating factors are the things that unfortunately we spend a lot of time thinking and dealing with, but are not the most important aspects of being human. Mm. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. I just want to let that sit for a minute for all of us. Like that was really well said. Um, Well, that was, I feel like that wrapped up pretty much everything perfectly in terms of the documentary. So let's just kind of take an angle off of that. I would love to know about the music that kind of came from this experience that you had, because clearly from what we just went over, it was so emotional and intellectually stimulating and personal growth, I'm sure was a huge part of it. But did you experience musical growth as well? And what were probably your biggest inspirations besides the human connection for Yeah, I mean, obviously from a, let's just, from a tech I'm classically trained in guitar and you know and these are so I'm I'll speak to the technical side of it immediately and I feel like from a technical side of it it's like if you do anything for 270 days straight um you will see a vast technical change in your ability and your understanding of not only performance because performance is a huge part of what we do and part of the journey that we've been on but Um, you know, so performance is a huge part and there was a lot of development that happened in us in our performance. And so as an artist, um, because you participate in your art, uh, you have your songs and your songwriting, but then you also have your performance and your participation in your display of your art. Um, I think that the performance started to develop and once the performance started to develop and we started to develop as performers, the songwriting started to develop uh, quite exponentially as well, because when you're doing something that often, you're doing, you start to realize, Oh, these are things that people really enjoy. And then when you go sit down to write a song, you're thinking about, Oh yeah, I want to work in some of these different things that we've been doing live that really have been connecting with our fans. And, and it it just is kind of this back and forth of stage and then the writing room and then Mm. stage and writing. And you start to realize that after about two to three years of that, um, the songs really start to change. And so, uh, you know, now, so speaking more to the interpersonal side of it, um, you know, for, so playing guitar and piano, just that amount of time starts to change you as a performer. But then number two, um, you know, I think of the opening lyrics of this new record. Um, and it's like, it says, it's kind of, it's a song called Periscope and it's kind of written as a love song from Mm. me to Jillian Mm. and the opening lines of the entire record are there. I lie awake with you. It's nothing new, like an old cartoon flickering on the TV and through a Periscope, I see our lives in my eyes. I know we'll be all right. We'll be all right. And I think that there is this kind of, um, narrowness that when you get so pressed in your life and you're being pushed so hard to your maximum that your peripheral vision becomes blurry and you only can be able to focus on what is ahead of you, what is the things that are literally impending dangers, impending opportunities. And so on the Unity Collective, because things were becoming so blurry, literally as we were driving 80 miles an hour down the street every day, 
But as things became blurry around us, we kind of realized, I realized in my own life as I would lie awake night after night, kind of figuring out how the heck are we going to get here? How are we going to pay for this? Mm-hmm. Which the finances of what we did is a whole nother interesting topic we get into. But um, one of the things that I realized when I wrote that lyric was that, you know, this is what's happening to us. This is our lives. This mm-hmm. is, we have to narrow our focus, not only because we want to, because we have to, and it's survival. And so I think that part of the Unity Collective is this story of triumphant survival, um, where you can survive and thrive in your surviving. Um, that it's not just about surviving, but in that surviving that you can actually come out on the other end and realize how much it changed you. But in the moment, you don't think about that. You don't think about how much it's changing you and how much you enjoy the journey. You're just like, oh, man, how are we going to get enough money to pay for this next thing of gas? Or how are we going to do this? Or how, where are we going to sleep tonight? Or like, did, did that bed have bed bugs? Or, you know, like there's all these things that just happen in the moment that you can't lose focus because next thing you know, you know, you get in a car accident. Right. So I think the Periscope and opening the lyrics of this new record were just kind of like, and the, and the whole record, and when I think about it, I told John, it's like there's the songs and then there's the moments. And I think on this record, some of my favorite moments are there's a song called um, uh, Ceasefire. And the ceasefire concept is about how we just can't find ceasefire in our own psychological worlds, that we're always constantly now as individuals and people fighting what's called, I think, psychological warfares mm. with each other. Um, when you look at uh, – depression and suicide rates among young women, um, young men, because it's the downside of this Instagram worthy life that we're all living is that like somehow people are getting left behind and they're falling in between the cracks and they're committing suicide. And because they feel so psychologically worn out because they feel like, well, I've done something great today. And then they post it and then they realize somebody else did something better. And it's Mm. just constantly people are going through the psychological warfare. But in the end, you know, I, through the lyrics of that song, I'm kind of exploring psychological warfare and hoping you can come out on the other side. And then there's this moment of pure euphoria, which is like if you're in a dream and you're running like a thousand miles an hour, you know, <laughs> and then the, there's this next song called young again that plays right after it, which is a coming of age song. And it's like a sobering song. So it's like you have these chords that ring out after this pure euphoria, which is like waking up with a horrible hangover and just having to be like, wait, you still have to put one foot in front of the other. And, um, and I love that in the album, you see a lot of these moments where you're getting musical moments, but you're also getting uh, lyrical moments as well that is creating a narrative that we went on in 2016. Mm. Wow. That is, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's something that I really like to talk about with a lot of people is kind of that juxtaposition of Instagram versus reality, if you will, Um, (laughs) which is kind of ironic and hilarious to me that that is a trending thing that people even post about now. And I'm like, but you're still not posting reality. You know, it's, it's, it really does take a toll on our mental health. And I mean, I've been in this kind of influencer world for six years and my journey has changed so much. And all of these things have happened for me as well. And it's refreshing to hear that it happens to other people who are, you know, in other fields or other professions or other creative ventures. And it really is a struggle that we all go through. And I think that even ties it all back into that theme of understanding too, is understanding at a base level that we all are experiencing our own psychological warfare. And that the person next to you is probably just as much in their head as you are, if not more. And we need to talk about that. I think the fact that it's taboo is just so much more detrimental to the greater mental health of our society because people are afraid to admit that they need help or they're afraid to admit that they're struggling. And sometimes it's just easier to pretend like you have it all together and slap a filter on it and post it to the Instagram feed, you know, and that's just not reality. No, it's not. And I think on this topic, this is probably one of my more favorite topics to talk about because I think it goes into wellness mm-hmm. and balance and um, and music and healing and different techniques that we can use to help heal our mind, bodies, and spirits. Um, I think that being an artist and, and just being someone who's constantly creating content, it can, like you said, it can be like really, I don't know if it is like this for you, but sometimes posting things can be very anxiety filling. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) What? Yeah, definitely. Anxiety filled. (laughs) Yeah. Like sometimes more than not, it's weird. I think that sometimes before I post, I'm just like, 
I sometimes I'm just like I write this whole thing and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then I'm just like, what the heck am I doing? And then sometimes I like cut it back to like one sentence, like fine, I'm just posting it up because I'm done. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, I think that on a wellness side of things, we are struggling as humans living in this technopoly mm. of devices and screen time and um, expectations and platforms and, you know, the constant bombardment of, I need to be creating content for people to consume. And I don't, it's insane. Cause I, I consider both of us minimalist because mm. of our lifestyle and how much we've given away right. to live our life. And, um, I think that helps us mentally, but, but the consumption on, um, a digital platform is something we also have to constantly be monitoring. Like how much time are we using the phone? Right. How much time are we engaging in things like that? Is it, is it actually hurting us or is it benefiting us and, and making sure that we can have a nice balance between that and, and making a life that's well, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I kind of have been thinking about a lot lately and I don't know if profanity is allowed on the podcast, sure but I'll, is. <laughs> throw, I'll throw a little bit of a disclaimer on this one, but I kind of feel like one of the things that we've been talking about lately is like, fuck the glitz and glam. I want to go back where it all began. Ooh. And, um, you know, I think that that kind of topic, that kind of relevancy is kind of where we're at right now. It's like, I want to know people and their journey and where they came from and not where they're at now because we know that the glitz and glam can just make the whole thing seem surreal and unrelatable and like so instantaneous and momentary where we realize that the journey is so heavy usually and so one of the other topics in the album is a song called bones which matt wiggins worked highly uh he committed a lot of time to it and so did so did we because um, you know, I have a, a brother who uh, has struggled with suicidal thoughts and mm. uh, addiction and alcoholism, and, and I love him dearly. Uh, you know, we think about him all the time. But the opening lines of this song were written out in uh, California. I had this uh, guitar part that I had kind of been working on and kind of been tossed around for here and there and didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. And I was thinking about lyrics, and sometimes lyrics just come to me at the most passive moments. And in this case, it was like during sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so I was sleeping. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this realization that it's hard to carry a burden if you don't have any bones and you can't just fly away if your wings are made of stone. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that the lyrics in that case really illustrate to me this concept that by revealing our scars to each other, by revealing the things that we struggle with in life – that somehow those burdens that we carry are actually the things that make us strong. It's yes. the things that we have, the baggage that we carry, the weaknesses that we've developed. If you've found ways to work through those weaknesses, whether it be addiction, whether it be suicide, whether it be – if you have a story, if you're building a narrative in life where you've survived difficult things – if you can share that story honestly and truthfully with your neighbors and, and show people your battle wounds and your scars from living in this life that we all live in right now, that's you will save other people. You know, you will be able to prevent someone from taking their own lives because you now embody them, right? Yeah. So one of the big things that I would get in disagreements with dif different people about was you know, we're all chained to our experiences, right? So like I have an experience that I can't speak to, um, you know, a suicide prevention group because, well, maybe I could, but I don't know if I have the personal experience with that journey enough to really speak to it in a way that would be authentic and true Right. where my brother does. And I always tell him, it's like, you have the ability to help save other people because you've survived it this far. You've done things. And and, you know, there's always this idea, well, I haven't done anything and my life isn't good enough and all these other things. It's like, no, you don't understand. You probably just don't understand what journey you've been on and how to tell it. Mm -hmm. But if people can continue to tell their story and share their battle wounds, that can actually help save other people. And I feel like that's the highest calling in life, right? Oh, yeah. Like prevent somebody else from taking their lives or doing something that is regrettable, killing other people. But it's like, I just think that by presenting only a perfect self on Instagram and these other places that people 
can't self-identify with that, and then they become more isolated. And I think that the song Bones really kind of deals with this. You know, the the chorus of the song is, you know, uh, I don't believe that it's true. Just do as I say and not as I do, because I want to believe in you. The promise you made, I'm holding on to because it's hard to carry a burden if you don't have any bones. Mm -hmm. And it's just telling people that we all have problems. We all have things that shake us up and bring us down. But if you guard away those bones and you don't show those bones, which I think is real strength, then you're really taking away the narrative of, of survival and and relatability with other people. I love that. And I, I think that the fact that you guys are through your music and through your own journey as humans are creating space for people to feel safe, to explore those emotions. Um, I know for me, I ended up getting sober once I moved from LA because I got super wrapped up in some stuff that I didn't want to be. And I since have shared a little bit of that story and it's crazy to me how many people every time I post about sobriety come out of the woodwork in so many different ways, either asking questions or providing support or literally thanking me and saying that by sharing that story, I'm helping them. And that I think helps me more than they realize too, because that support from them and that support from other people who have done that for me helps me continue to move forward in my own journey. And so to hear that you guys are doing that too, and that I'm not the only one who kind of aligns with those views that there are so many more people who are creating that safe space for people to just truly be themselves and process whatever it is they're feeling good, bad, happy, sad. That's just paramount to the human existence. It is. And I think that touching on that, it's like what I want to say to you and your journey is, is like what I feel like what you did and what you do in those moments. And I feel like why people are so drawn to that and why they speak is because it's like you're showing your bones. Yeah. You're showing all the muscles and all the beauty that you can develop in life and the perfect sides of, you know, you're showing the bones of who you are. And I think that the, the idea of bones to me is so resonant because it's like that is the core of what it means. And when you show that to people, you know, everybody has bones, you know, it's like everybody has this, not everybody's going to be, you know, six foot tall or five or whatever, you know, skin color, all these other things. But, but when you show the core of what you've done and and I hope that you continue to do that because it just sounds like just even from me hearing that, like your story. And I think that that's what we hope with the unity collective and the music that we're sharing that people realize that their story is so valuable, Mm -hmm. but they have to be willing to share the bones of it, the real journey, the real difficulties of it, because that's what people can relate to. And your story is going to empower and save people. Unlike our story will where our story will, you know, it's all, but that's how, that's the beauty of community is that in a true community of people, you have people that can share. There is nothing that a community can't overcome because there's so many diverse opinions. There's so many people that can help other people, but it's about respecting that journey and not casting judgment and not casting doubt and fear and anger and chastising and, You know, I just think that we have to step away from that and realize that if you surround yourself with people who represent every walk of the human race, that we are a power, more powerful, more embodied human race than trying to isolate it down to only the things that we agree with, only the things that we think need to be represented. And in the end, if you do that, then people get left out. And that's the saddest feeling because we all as humans just want to feel love, feel connected. Mm -hmm. And if we don't feel that, then we become angry, we become violent as a culture And that's kind of where we're at right now. And that's just, it's sad, but we all have to do our part to bring it back, right? Mm. And it's kind of funny because one of the phrases that founded our country is creating a more perfect union, but we have so many people who are living in fear instead of love and empathy. And it's just, it's backwards to me, but I, yeah, if we continue to do this, I hope that we will take like bigger steps. I mean, look at our like most recent election. I think people really woke up, you know, and that's... really exciting to see it's really exciting to be able to celebrate through art and music too and uh all of the feels are happening i just love it (laughs) yeah it is and i think the last thing i'll leave on that kind of like moment was it's easy to hate because when you hate someone you can forget about them it's hard to love someone because when you love somebody you have to think about them all the time wow i love that oh my gosh i love that too can we make that like a sticker (laughs) Yeah. yeah, no, honestly, can we? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. So we're going to add that to the shop. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And the truth is, is going forward, how do we continue? How do we all learn to love each other? Because love is so complicated. And I think the but new it's record so much more powerful. and mm. bringing it back to the new record. So Mayflies, the title track of the, the song is like, you know, I think that that it embodies this this idea that love is the is the way forward, but yet is the most complicated, the most difficult thing. And I think a lot of love songs that are written in today's popular culture, are kind of this bubblegum love. That like, hey, you know, it's disposable. It's like something that you can just like, you don't love somebody, screw it. Just find somebody else to love for the night. I don't think that, I think that that narrative of love is destroying what we know is of love. Mm -hmm. And I think that if people really learn what love is, they would realize that it's the most difficult human emotion to deal with. Yes. Oh, and complex and in every way. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's true. I mean, I think that's a good thing to strive for is like learning what true love is on all fronts, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, for sure. And it's the most difficult and beautiful things that you can be a part of in your life. Mm. Yes. Well, I would love to talk a little bit about some fun facts that I know of you two before we wrap up here. Nathaniel, I've heard that you're quite the coffee connoisseur. And I'm wondering how that translated on your road trip and how you're enjoying it now that you're not living in a car. Um. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I guess, well, one of the things that we learned out on the road was that, um, man, there's not many things when you're living in your car that you can truly, and I'm talking living in your car is kind of this euphemism for being broke and not having a lot of money, not having a lot of time, not having a lot of like resources. So when I speak of the leaving, living in the car thing, it's a little bit, I think, heavier than just like, uh, you know, sleeping in your car. It's like it's all the elements. And there's little money to spend on food and things like that and, and nice food. And, you know, but we try to do the best we can, given what we have out on the road. Mm-hmm. But coffee was kind of one of these things where it's like, oh, you know, for two or three dollars, you can go and have a nice coffee and a great time together. And that's affordable and makes you feel like cherished. And and I really do believe a lot in the Japanese uh, tradition that if you can take something as mundane as in our culture, making a cup of coffee and drinking it, if you can take the ordinary and lift it up to extraordinary, that you can learn more about the human condition. Mm. So it's like if you can take a task that you do every day and turn it into a task that is very intentional, that you can actually grow your human experience because you learn to honor the most ordinary items in life. And so that's kind of how the coffee thing started was that once we started to get into it, it was like, wow, this is an interesting way of um, – taking something really regular and ordinary and turning it into something beautiful and great. And then that turned into coffee time, which is time for Jillian and I to spend together to reflect on where we want to go in our lives and what's happened Mm. to recap, um, and to do all the things. And then we developed a suitcase, a vintage suitcase. I'll let Jillian tell you about this because it's actually her suitcase. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. This, so essentially we realized that we needed some sort of regular ritual that grounds us every day because we'd be staying at different places all over the place. And it's just very ungrounding. So coffee time became a thing. And then we created a coffee suitcase where everything went in this vintage suitcase from the forties from his coffee, hand coffee grinder to the measurements, to the cups, to the specialty pour over system and mechanisms and a little like a teapot kettle that can go anywhere oh my gosh that's amazing (laughs) and so every morning no matter where we were even including when we went oh i guess at that point we didn't have the alaska alaska and hawaii we didn't we weren't able to do this we We did tea time but no we were left coffee time somebody actually lent us their coffee gear when we were in alaska no way hilarious but um, even in those stops, you're able to do it. Yeah, you're right. They didn't lend us. Yeah. But, you know, it becomes this thing where every morning we check in with each other and say, oh, how are you feeling? How are you doing? And I think to have a positive and lasting love relationship, you have to check in and communicate. And yes. our coffee time allows us to do that every day. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about the whole bit. So we kind of learned about this and then we were doing, you know, obviously I was making coffee for myself and I was making it for, you know, drinks for Jillian. 
But then what we learned is that we're out on the road, 270 dates, right? Mm -hmm. So what's a great way to say thank you to somebody who hosts us? What's a great way to say thank you to um, people that, you know, we don't have a ton of money and, and we can't drop $30 on flowers everywhere we go. And, right. and then there's, you know, obviously, you know, flowers, you know, whether or not that's good thing, but whatever. <laughs> so it's like, how can we do, how can we figure out something that we can do that's very specifically us? And we found that making coffee for people, taking this ordinary process that they had every morning from just like, you know, having whatever, just, you know, whatever they were drinking when we turned it into this intentional thing where we could all kind of like sit around and talk and I could make coffee for 20 minutes. What we ended up doing was in a way just saying thank you to our, our hosts. Um, so that's kind of where it developed as well. It was like, at first we started using it. Then it was like a great way for us in the morning after somebody would host us to just sit down and spend that extra 15, 20 minutes of time with them, which is by far the most important thing beyond money is time. Totally. Um, and, uh, and it was a great way for us to say thank you to our hosts. And then it became like this little ritual. So it was like, it was time for us. It was time for us to say thank you to people that were helping us and for us to kind of explain this, um, you know, this, this ritual that we had and, and, and it kind of manifested in that way. So it became, and first we were learning about it. And then once we learned about it, the first thing we wanted to do was share it with other people. I love that. I feel like that's such a kind of community builder in and of itself. Um, and so you too, like that is exactly a way for you guys to build that unity and connection that you've been talking about. And, What's better than an actual conversation over a solid cup of coffee? I really, I can't think of anything. I've had like three cups today already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think Nathan said at least two, so I think you got him by one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I'm proud of that or embarrassed. <laughs> no, you should be proud. This is a proud, proud moment. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, I feel like that's just such a good note to end on and embodies everything. Like it all just comes down to the simplicity of connecting with people and spreading good vibes and positive love. And I've so enjoyed this conversation with you guys. I really appreciate your time and for instilling all of these gifts that you guys have learned on, on the Mass Musings community. Um, so real quick, before we wrap up, I would love it if you would just plug your social medias and tell people where they can find you, maybe your next show. Of course. So first and foremost, you can listen to us on Spotify under the bergamot you can find our next shows at the bergamot that's the and then b-e-r-g-a-m-o-t.com on the homepage, it has our touring schedule and of course we're on instagram at the bergamot and on facebook too amazing well, thank you guys so, so much again. I, I seriously cannot say enough things about this conversation, and I'm so excited for everybody to be able to listen to it. You guys have been absolutely fantastic, and I look forward to seeing you somewhere out there on the road in the future. Oh, my gosh, Kate. Thank you so right. much. Keep spreading joy, and as always, shine on. Thank you. It's our, it's our pleasure to give our story to people to hope to inspire them, and we loved being with you ever upwards, my friend. We'll see you soon.